to um, Acts chapter 8, verse 48 this morning. Before we read, um, let us pray, shall we? Heavenly Father God, may you comfort us with your word this morning and encourage us to continually glorify you in all of the things that we do daily. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay, so, however the Most High does not live in houses made by men, as the prophets say. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will, you, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet? Your fathers did not persecute. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him? You have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their cloths at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to hand the time to Uncle Tech to bring us God's word this morning. Okay, I'm on. Uh, good morning, church, and it is wonderful that... I can bring God's words to you this morning in spite of uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty lousy day today. And um, if you have your Bible in front of you, it would be good if you can turn to Acts chapter 7. An American pastor and an activist, he delivered this very famous speech in 1963 in Washington, D.C. He said, I have a dream. I have a dream. And until today, that speech has given people a lot of hope, especially the African-Americans. And how about the speech delivered by Stephen 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem? And what do we know about this person, Stephen, and his speech? In fact, we come across Stephen in Acts chapter 6. The Bible tells us that he's a He's a wise person, a, a man full of spirit and full of faith. We also know that Stephen is responsible for 
delivering or distributing food and other charitables to the widows in the church. In fact, the speech in Acts chapter 7 is all about Stephen's defense against the charges that was brought against him. In Acts chapter 6, verse 13 to 14, we know that some of the Jews in the synagogue, they set up false witnesses to accuse Stephen of two very major charges. One of them is that he speak against the temple, and second, he speak against Moses and his laws. So following that, the leaders brought Stephen to the council, and then he has to face the high priests. In fact, these things remind us of Jesus, of exactly what Jesus has gone through. He too was accused of the same charges and also brought in front of the high priests. We might wonder why the temple is so important to the Jews during those times, and speaking against it is considered as blasphemy. You see, the temple to the Jews is a bit like the MCG to many Melburnians. You see, the thinking behind it is, is that if Melburnians think that the MCG will be destroyed, that will be disastrous because we can't help, we can't hold the, um, the, the footy grand final this, uh, in, 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 uh, in MCG. And looks like this year, we are not gonna do it. Similarly to the Jews, they identified the temple or they associate the temple so closely with God. So the thinking is, if, if the temple is destroyed, then God will be gone and God will not be with them anymore. So against that background, in Acts chapter seven, verse one, the priest asked Stephen, he said, are these charges true? And how did Stephen defend himself? He did not give a simple no answer, but instead he recounts the, the history from the time Abraham was called to Moses, to, to Joseph, and all the way to King David. That's why we have 60 verses in chapter 7. So in the first part of the defense, Stephen reminds his hearers that God has never, has never been confined to one land, one building, or one specific uh, 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 place. And they are wrong to think that they can confine God in the temple in Jerusalem. So he brings out his first evidence. In verse 2, it reads, To this Stephen replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And we know that these two places are far away from Jerusalem. They are in today's Iraq and, and Turkey. Then Stephen continues in verse 9. He said, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, 
They sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him. God was with him. Again, we can see that God moved to Egypt with Joseph. And Egypt is nowhere near Jerusalem. Then he reminds them of Moses in chapter, 30, uh, in chapter 7, verse 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Where is this holy ground? In a foreign land of Midian. Again, it is far away from Jerusalem. Is there a holy temple on this holy ground? No, there's nothing like that. The ground is only holy because of God's presence. It has nothing to do with any structure or building. And again, in verse 38, we can see that God continues to stay with Moses and all the way and protecting them in the wilderness. And again, at Mount Sinai, God appeared to Moses. Well, Stephen's aim of recounting how God deals with Israel is to point out that from the time Abraham was called unto today, he has never been confined, or he has never confined himself to one location or one sacred location or a temple or a tabernacle before that. He's always with his prophets and his people wherever he guides them. Stephen then concludes this part of the defense by quoting prophet Isaiah in verse 48. He said, however, the most high does not live in houses made by human hands. Next, Stephen defends himself on the charge of speaking against the law of Moses. He reminds them that their ancestor repeatedly despised God's law and consistently persecuted God's servants and prophets. Here again, like any defense lawyer will do, he bring out some evidence to light. In verse 39, he said, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. God had delivered their ancestors from the bondage of delivery in Egypt and, protect them, and protected them in the wilderness. But instead of obeying God, they rejected him and his servant. And on top of that, they asked Aaron to build them a golden calf. And if we look at verse 40, they told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, although it is pretty rude to speak of him like that, as of this fellow Moses, who led us out of Egypt, we don't know where what has happened to him. Clearly, their ancestors has broken the Ten Commandments of worshipping an idol. Now, instead of learning from the ancestors' repeated mistakes of disobeying God, the Jews during Stephen's time continues to do the same and sin against God. Stephen eventually speaks sternly to them. If you look at verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 52, was there ever a prophet your ancestor did not persecute? Then they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Clearly, Stephen is referring to Lord Jesus Christ, whom they have just killed a few months ago. And in verse 53, you who have received the law that, you, uh, uh, that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. The Jews thought that having this temple and all the exterior worship that they perform in there give them these special privileges with God. And they even think that they were to receive blessings from God, no matter how corrupt their behavior was. After Stephen points out their hypocritical behavior and gives them an opportunity to repent, look at verse 51. He asks the question, is it possible to go through the impressive outward motions of worship, but to have stiff necks and uncircumcised hearts and ears? Is it possible to boast in our knowledge of God's word, but not to obey it? Well, instead of repenting, they were enraged and they threw Stephen out the city, just like they did to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this time, they stoned him. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, even though Israel had a history of spiritual privilege, unlike any nations on earth, she continued to reject the Savior and incur God's judgment. The temple that the Jews treasured so much was destroyed in 70 AD. Even until today, God does not confine himself to a church building. If he does, I'm sure God will be very lonely with this stage for restriction because no one goes to church on Sunday to see him. In fact, God continues to stay with his people wherever they are. In fact, Paul reminds the Corinthians church in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? But then what's the meaning of Christians being the holy temple of this living God? Yes, in the Old Testament, God made himself present in the temple and in the tabernacle. But after the Pentecost, God dwells with his people in a much more intimate way through the Holy Spirit. Because of this special relationship we have with God, Paul reminds us again in 2 Corinthians 6.16, that God not only dwells with us, he walks with us. Therefore, we are all called for holy living. Our walks must be separated from the unclean, separated from all kinds of idols. Our walks must be led by the Spirit to be pure in hearts, to be merciful, to be forgiving, 
and we can see that this spirit-led life was manifested in Stephen, especially in the last verse, verse 60. When the Jews were stoning him, he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he has said this, he fell asleep. It's not because he's tired or anything, it's because he died. Those words echo what Jesus said on the cross when he was crucified. In Luke's account, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. In fact, there was a survey done in regard to the last word of a dying person. In fact, in most cases, this survey says they will, the last word they will reserve for the loved ones, for the spouse, the children, and for those who, who love pets, they will reserve the last word for the cats and the dogs. But for Stephen, despite the fact that these Jews did not show any signs of repentance, he reserved his last words, not for his loved one, but for the people who we can say who hated him. Not only he did not condemn them, but he asked the Lord not to hold the sin against them. Clearly, he is living out Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Stephen's speech can also help us in the way we share the gospel. Stephen is more concerned about bearing witness to the truth of God than his own safety. Yes, we were told that when we share the gospel with our non-Christian friends or relatives, we should do it with grace and love, seasoned with salt, so that we know what we ought to say to Uncle Jim or, or Auntie Jenny or whoever. But just as important that we should be gracious and kind, we should share the gospel accurately. We should not just focus on God's love and grace and avoid the subjects of sin, righteousness of God, and God's final judgment. If we do that, we have not proclaimed the gospel accurately. Often we back off from the difficult parts of the gospel because we want to be invited back for dinner, I don't know, or we want people to think well of us. It's kind of rude to say that, hey, Uncle Jim, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, I think the ending is not very good for you. Well, of course, we won't put it that way, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. Well, in conclusion, Stephen's speech and what he did, one, remind us that we are God's holy temple and that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Our body do not belong to us because we are bought at a price. That is Christ who paid the price for our sin. Therefore, we are all called to live a godly life, to obey Jesus' commandments, where his commandments is not stacked up on the shelf that we take up once or twice a week. His commandments are written on our hearts. 
We need to be faithful to him, to stand firm in our faith, to stand by Jesus until the end. And on that last day, we all hope that when we look up that, that sky or that heaven, we will see the heaven open. And Revelation 21 verse 3 gives us this hope and promise. It reads, Look, God's dwelling place is among the people, and he will dwell with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. May you search and cleanse our hearts and, remind, uh, and minds um, for all of us. We know that our bodies belong to you. Our bodies were bought at a price, a hefty price. So purify us and help us, O oh Lord, to, to live a godly life so that we can glorify you in this body of ours until the end. O oh Lord, give us strength, bonus, and wisdom to share the gospel with others. For you have given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.